For those who are new or for those who are worshiping with us online, uh, know that we're glad you're here with us uh, or you're worshiping with us today. Uh, we've, we've been going through the book of Exodus and we're officially halfway to where we will get to this summer. But as you know, uh, as you may know, we've only covered about six chapters uh, in a 40 chapter book, so fret not. Uh, we're, only, we're, we're, gonna, we're only going to chapter 18 this summer, uh, but for the mathematicians out there, uh, we still have a lot of ground to cover. So over the next two weeks, uh, we're going to take a few big, broad, uh, sweeping jumps through the book, uh, through, through the end of chapter 10. Uh, I have no factual data to back this up, uh, but just as an assumption, these next few weeks are the parts of Exodus that, are probably, that probably seem the most popular. Uh, if the book of Exodus were made into a movie, the next few chapters, uh, this would be the beginning of the thrill. We're going to be looking at the ten plagues. Uh, we're going to see the, the first four this week, the next five, uh, the following week, uh, and then the final plague two weeks from now. Uh, now, if you're looking at your Bibles, you would see that the first four plagues ch- uh, cover chapter seven and eight. Uh, and if you, don't, if you didn't pick this up last week, we only uh, covered about a third of chapter six. So instead of looking at these next few chapters with the microscope going verse by verse, uh, looking at each individual tree, so to speak, uh, we're going to uh, have more of an airplane view to see the whole forest, uh, looking more at major themes that we see throughout the plague. Uh, and so as we go through these, these plagues, there are a few themes that we'll see. Uh, the, the first is we'll see God's power. We're going to see, we're going to see God's power. We'll see God's wrath and judgment. We'll see obedience and hard hearts. We'll see false gods and idolatry. Uh, and we'll be forced to wrestle with some difficult truths, especially today. You know, we've got some tough things to wrestle with today. Uh, but the one major theme that we're going to see over the next several weeks as we, as we wrestle, as we, as we go through these plagues, we're going to see that God is Yahweh, the Lord. Right, that God is the Lord. And so each sermon is going to highlight a few different themes, but they'll, they'll each ultimately show us that God is the Lord, that God is Yahweh. And so as we recap from last week, uh, we saw that God made a promise that his people would know them as Yahweh, and they wouldn't just, uh, they wouldn't just know the name, but they would uh, see God reveal himself, and they would experience God as Yahweh. And we know that the Lord, Yahweh, makes uh, makes promises and he keeps promises. And well, buckle up, uh, because we're going to see uh, we're going to see God as Yahweh up close and personal today as we go through the plagues. One of the things I said last week is that when we we think of the name Yahweh the Lord, there's a lot that encompasses that name. Uh, it shows that he's a covenant keeping God, intertwined and seeing uh, that God is both powerful and personal. Uh, and we'll see firsthand that God is powerful and God is personal. Uh, we, love, we love the idea of God being powerful uh, and personal, but I think if we're honest, <laughs> we love to think of God as powerful and personal when it goes our way. Uh, thinking we love God's power, we love that God is personal, but I don't want uh, God to be too powerful <laughs> and too personal. You understand what I'm saying? Like, uh, thinking about a dating relationship. More specific, specifically, the aspiring of a relationship. Maybe thinking with infatuation, uh, maybe having the thought, I just, I just want to be known, right? I want someone to understand me uh, deeply. And the person gets into a relationship, and then three months later, they're like, okay, I need some space here. Uh, you're getting a little too close. You're getting all up into my business. Uh, if we're not careful, this is how we can often think of God. 
We love to say God is powerful, but I don't want God to be too powerful. That feels a bit invasive. <laughs> Maybe we think, I, I love that God is personal, but I don't want God to be all up in my business. I, don't want, I want God to make me feel good, but I don't want him to, to know all of my junk. You know, I, I'm okay with, with God coming in and warming my heart, but I don't want God to come into my heart with a scalpel. And what, what we'll see over the next several weeks is because God is Yahweh, he's involved in every aspect of our life in a deeply powerful, in a deeply personal way because he cares, right? He's Yahweh. And so that being said, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, and I'm going to tell the story of the first uh, four plagues, but we're going to zero in on Pharaoh's hard heart, showing ultimately as our major theme over the next several weeks uh, that God is the Lord. God is Yahweh, even over hard and rebellious hearts that we'll see today. You know, as we, as we work through our passage, and because of the amount of text we're going to cover today, um, you know, there's about 15 things that I could point out. You know, they're, they're all really good, uh, and I'm going to point out some of them, not all of them, along the way, but as I've been thinking, praying and, and processing through this, praying what the Lord may have for us today, you know, I think our main point is out of, is a verse, uh, James 4, 6, uh, and our main idea is God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Today's heavy, uh, so prepare yourself. <laughs> Today, in our text, we're going to see God's uh, clear and illustrative opposition to the proud. All right, we're going to see God's wrath, we're going to see God's judgment on the proud. It's, it's abundantly clear, and as I said earlier, you know, this is hard to deal with. You know, we, we like the idea of God's power and sovereignty, but maybe not like this. You know, I don't want you to tune out and see, uh, see this as a judgment and wrath sermon. Although it is very heavy on judgment and wrath, this is just the plagues, right? There, there's no skirting around this. Uh, but I do want to point out that James 4, 6 is, does have a second half, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So hang tight with me. Today I'm going to walk through the story. I'm going to read part of it. I'm going to summarize parts of it, and I'm going to commentate on a few things as we go. And then the second half of our time, after we kind of work through the entire story or the first four plagues, uh, we're going to look specifically at three themes that I'll give you when we get there. And they're all intertwined. All these themes are intertwined together. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to give you those as we go. But for now, uh, try to hang with me for a few minutes as we work through the story, as we kind of go through the plagues. I said, if you have your Bibles, uh, look at chapter 6. Uh, where we left off last week, right there in the middle. I'm not going to read this. You know, I just want to point out a few things that are there that are worth noting. You know, we left off uh, at the end of chapter 10 last week, um, and, and then we see here that God, at the, you know, leaving, picking up where we left off, God reminds Moses of the plan that he has made for them, and poor Moses, uh, he doubts again. He's worried about his speech that he's already kind of brought to the Lord, and he, uh, God uh, nudges him again, and he says, do it anyways, all right, essentially saying, do it anyways. And then uh, we see a genealogy right in the middle of chapter six, seeing the, the broken line of Moses and Aaron showing again how God uses messed up and broken people, right? God, uh, genealogies are often skipped or glazed over, but uh, genealogy, genealogies are excellent study tools. You know, they're so rich to, to, to mine out and to study. And it's also, uh, the genealogies also show this is a historical book by nature, and they help to further the point that this book of Exodus is not fabricated. If the book of Exodus were fabricated, 
it probably would have been better for them to leave out the genealogies uh, because we could, let's just say these, this genealogy is not exactly rosy. Right? Uh, like most genealogies in the Bible, it's not a nice, uh, warm, Hallmark-like movie, uh, family tree. Let's just say that the family reunions uh, may have been a little interesting. Um, and then right at the end of the genealogy, there's another reminder of the plan, telling Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and tell them to let God's people go, uh, which is said over and over again that we've seen so far. Uh, and poor Moses, right, he doubts again uh, and about the way that he talks again, and God encourages him again. <laughs> at this point, we're thinking, come on, Moses, get, get with it, Right? And just like we saw last week, God is incredibly patient and gracious, reminding us that we too, we need constant reminders of who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. Which brings us to the beginning of chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 1, where I'm going to start reading. Okay, I'm going to read a good bit today, so just try to hang, hang tight with me. This is what it says, starting in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron, two older guys, two older men at this point, they're 80 and 83 years old, which is a side note. I love it. God's greatest work uh, in their life uh, was done in their old age. They hear from God uh, they, they receive further confirmation of God's plan uh, to go to speak to Pharaoh when honestly, it seemed crazy. It seemed foolish. But as we see, they walked in obedience. Verse 6 says, they did just as the Lord commanded them. But there's something I want to point out in what we just read at the beginning of chapter 7. This is the part where we may want to kind of scurry past it uh, or read faster, hoping no one picks up on it. Right, but I want to point this out head on for us today. Look, look at verse 2 and 3 again that we just read this in chapter 7. It'll be up on the screen. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. And this is the point where I want to slow down and, and point out. Verse 3 begins by saying, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> Did we read that correctly? Right? God is speaking and says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We can just say that this isn't, um, this might not be the verse that we see on coffee cups often, uh, but we're going to deal with that today. We're, but now, right now, it's just a teaser. We're going to keep moving. Look at, uh, look at, starting in verse eight. It says, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servant, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, uh, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, 
and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So there's a lot happening here. We see the staff that was introduced back in chapter 4. And that staff, it gets put to good use here. Uh, it feels a little bit like a showdown in a Western movie. You know, Aaron throws down the staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. Pharaoh's like, oh yeah, you think you're a tough guy? Uh, he gets his magician buddies, Pharaoh gets his magician buddies, and they go and do the same thing. But Aaron's snake, he goes and eats their snake. Uh, this was like the showdown before the main event. Uh, and of course, God wins, uh, <laughs> making Pharaoh look bad, uh, showing God's power over Pharaoh, over them, over, over what Pharaoh did, or the magicians did. Uh, but I want to point out here that said in verse 13, something significant in regard to Pharaoh's heart. It says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So somewhere between verses, verse 3 and verse 13 of chapter 7, uh, with this interaction with the magicians, snaff, staff, and the snakes, this, this, this prelude to the showdown, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In chapter 7, verse 3, it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then it says here in, in verse 13, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So when exactly did God harden, harden, harden Pharaoh's heart? We don't know. We know that God said he would do it, and now his heart is hardened. But what I find interesting is the question, something for us to think about before we move on, is the question, what did God do around the time God's, uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened? <laughs> well, God displays his great power over Pharaoh, uh, humbling Pharaoh, putting Pharaoh's pride uh, in place, showing that God is over Pharaoh, and Pharaoh didn't like it, and, and his heart was hardened. And look what happens next. We just saw the prelude, right? We saw the warm-up event, and now we're entering into our 10-round showdown, right? We've got the 10 plagues. For the sake of time, I'm just going to read uh, the first, uh, first plague, and then I'm going to tell the story of the next three. So follow along with me in verse 14 as I read this first plague, okay? It's a little bit longer, so hang tight. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand in the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. And then we see in verse 17, there's this common phrase showing one of uh, God's many purposes in the plagues. It says, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord, right? He's, he's showing him that God is powerful and personal, that he's Yahweh, that he keeps his promises and all this. He's the Lord. And then he says to Pharaoh, continuing in verse 17, he says, behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die. And the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. So I want to stop here for a second as we consider the first plague. Now with the Nile River turning into blood and the fish dying. And as I said last week, right now I'm all into fishing. You know, I love to eat fish. Uh, but let's just be honest with what we see here in the reality of this plague. The smell of dead fish is the smell of God's wrath. Right, you can take that one to the house, okay? Uh, as I said last week, my luck in fishing, it hasn't been uh, the greatest. Uh, so what do I do this past week? I just go to Publix and I buy a whole fish, right? The whole snapper, the whole thing. 
You know, I cut it up. I fled my house. I mean, we're talking the whole thing. The head, the eyeballs, the tail, everything is there. And my, I cut it up inside with my family. And my, fa- my, my family had a firsthand smell of the wrath of God. Hovis family discipleship. Uh, so the next time you smell awful dead fish, let it be a reminder to flee from sin. Okay? Uh, that one was free. So let's keep moving. Look what God says in verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank. So the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And look what it says next. It says, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So not only was Pharaoh's heart hardened, but Pharaoh didn't care what happened to the people of Egypt. His heart was hard and cold towards his people, towards his own people. Interestingly enough, showing God's judgment against the people of Egypt, which may we not forget, were also not innocent. Right? The entire community of Egypt was in sin. It was not just Pharaoh himself. What we see here is God's judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt, as we showed last week. It's a foreshadowing of God's impending judgment over pride and sin for the entire world. And as we hear these next few plagues today, may it be a small reminder, may it be a small picture of God's disgust over sin, over the sin of the world. Let's not forget that God is a holy God, and and he cannot, God cannot be in the presence of evil. God's presence, as the Apostle Paul reminds us, God's presence demands, it demands a sweet aroma, and cannot, God's presence cannot be mixed with the stench of sin. And before I get ahead of myself, I want to stop there, Uh, I want to stop there with that story, but I want to keep moving to get to the last three plagues, Uh, so we can, so hang with me. You know, so, so after the first plague of the Nile, God showed his judgment yet again in chapter 8. God showed his judgment by sending frogs the second time, by putting them everywhere, coming out of their houses, their bedrooms, their beds, their ovens, their kneading bowls, and they covered all of Egypt. And then Pharaoh asked Moses and Aaron, you see, he asked them to plead with the Lord. And Moses listened, and the frogs died, uh, they gathered them all up. And then Pharaoh went back on his word after he, he asked them to plead with the Lord. Pharaoh showed a lack of genuine repentance. And then it says, interestingly enough, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, it says, in, in, in chapter 8, verse 15. And then the third plague, the Lord sent the gnats in the land of Egypt, all over the people and the animals. Uh, this time, the magicians, they could not do it. They told Pharaoh this was the hand of God. But Pharaoh didn't listen, and his heart was hardened. Just as the Lord had said, it says in verse 19 of chapter 8. And then the fourth plague, the the Lord sent flies. 
You know, first, we saw the, the plague of the Nile. Second, we saw the plague of the frogs. Third, we saw the plague of the gnats. And now, fourth, the plague of the flies. Flies are just a nuisance, right? The buzzing, the swarming. You know, they went into the houses, and it says they filled the houses. You know, just one fly is, is, a, is a bit annoying, but just imagine this scene. Swarms of flies filling your entire house, filling your neighbor's house. Right, this is the wrath of God. Not only did the, the flies swarm the houses, but they all, it says they also ruined the land, it says in verse 24. And again, Pharaoh didn't like what was going on, and he called Moses and Aaron. And he asked them to make a sacrifice to appease God. And, and Pharaoh ob- obliged. He, 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 he let them do it, and he said he would let them go to make sacrifices in the desert after they kind of made their agreement there. And I find this interesting he said again to Moses on their way out, in verse 28, he said, plead for me. Pharaoh said, plead for me, Moses and Aaron, right? Pray, essentially saying, pray for me, right? Pray to your God for me, plead for me. It seems as, as if he's saying, ask your God to help me. Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's like pleading. And Moses did just that. And it says, starting in verse 31, to close out chapter 8, our, our story for today, Verse 31, it says, And the Lord did as Moses asked, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. We see yet again, uh, Pharaoh plead for help. God intervenes and makes Pharaoh's uh, circumstances better. And as soon as his circumstances improved, he hardens his own heart again. And that's where our story ends for today. You know, Patrick's going to pick up the next five plagues next week. It's going to almost be a part two to this sermon. Uh, but for the rest of our time, there are three major themes that I want to point out that we see kind of all intertwined together in the story. And the first is uh, Pharaoh's hard heart. The second is God's judgment and power. And the third is God's grace and repentance. And may we not forget as we, as we look at these three themes May we not forget James 4, 6, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As I've said, we've got some hard things to wrestle with today. Uh, last week, I hope it was encouraging for us, right? We see how God's promises anchor his people in difficult day, days. And then uh, this week, we get to wrestle with hard hearts, judgment, and repentance. These are, these are hard to wrestle with, but they're for our good. Right? These are for our good because this is what God wants to reveal as, we've, as, as, as he's revealing himself as Yahweh, as he's showing himself as the one true God. With that said, let's look at our first theme. Pharaoh's hard heart. When I think of a hard heart, you know, I, I think of uh, shut off, isolated, cold, stubborn, right? something, that, uh, something that can't be moved. It's impenetrable. Right? Just, just think of a metal worker. Right? How do you shape... Uh, hard, metal that's hard. Well, you can't, right? You either don't move it and you don't shape it or all, at all, or, or you just break it. Well, then how does a metal worker uh, shape metal? It has to be softened with heat. When, metal, when hard metal softens, it becomes moldable. And to make it hard again, you have to remove the heat. God wants to shape us and mold us to be like him. And when our hearts are hard, we are not moldable. That's what we'll see here with Pharaoh. He has a hard heart. 
But what's interesting is that the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. When we hear and see today that God, yes, God, it says, as the Bible says multiple times, the thought is often, that's not the God that I know, right? Uh, That's not my God. Why would my God do that? My God would not do that. Well, as we'll see, this is the God of the Bible. This is how God has revealed himself in his word. This is something we're going to have to wrestle with today. But it, it leaves us to ask the question, why would God harden someone's heart? thinking that doesn't seem very loving. Like, like, what is this? Why would God do this? Whenever we see difficult things like this, it should uh, lead us to further digging, right? To asking more questions, further study, because we'll see the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. This is an important thing for us to understand in the plagues. Now, I want to I spend some time on this theme and take a deep dive of God's hardening Pharaoh's heart, because it's a recurring theme in these next few chapters. You know, whenever we see Scripture... In Scripture, and especially in Old Testament narratives like Exodus, whenever we see it say something over and over and over again, it's a hint for us to stop and take note because it might be something important. In fact, it probably is important if they said it over and over and over again. So follow me here. Between chapter 4 and chapter 14 in the book of Exodus, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is mentioned 19 times. Right? You can pass over this maybe once, right? Maybe twice, but after 19 times, it's like, okay, God, what are you trying to say here? So that's what we're going to chew on for a few minutes. So pay attention while I try to explain this. So if we go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, a little bit of a timeline here, we see a different Pharaoh. There's a different Pharaoh in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that's being interacted with right now in chapter, in chapter 7 and 8. Uh, there's a different king in chapter 1 and 2. They were oppressing Israel. We see generational sin. It was passed on from one pharaoh to the next pharaoh. Uh, the first pharaoh dies, and the next pharaoh does the same thing for the fir- that the first pharaoh did, except it was worse. And then, thinking about the timeline here, we see that God comes in in chapter 3 to speak to Moses through a burning bush, to call Moses a great, uh, to a great and difficult task. And then in chapter 4, we see God for the first time bring up the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. This is the first time where it's mentioned. I'm going to read it. Chapter, this is in chapter 4, verse 21, the very first time. God is speaking to Moses through a burning bush. And he says, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. See, it's the first time God said it. It's very interesting because Pharaoh had already proven himself to be mean and ruthless and evil. And then God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then he tells us why right after in the exact same verse in in chapter four, verse 21, he says, so that he, that being Pharaoh, will not let my people go. And as we know, ultimately, as as God, so that God's people, right, Israel would see Yahweh, the Lord, be put on display through great wonders, which we see throughout the, the plagues. Right? That's why he did it, so that we would see God's wonders displayed, so that we, they would know God is Yahweh the Lord. Now pay attention here, because what we often think, what I think causes the rub for people, right, struggling, for, struggling with God hardening a person's heart, when we hear of God uh, hardening Pharaoh's heart specifically, what I believe is often assumed, whether, it's, whether this is realized or not, is believing that Pharaoh was innocent, as if God turned a soft heart into a hard heart. But as we know, this wasn't the case. Pharaoh was never innocent. Before God ever said anything about hardening Pharaoh's heart, we see in chapter 3, 
that both Pharaoh and the Egyptians as a whole right, were, were guilty of uh, harsh oppression and ruthless slavery. And so that what we must see and understand today is that God did not turn a hard heart into a, uh, God, a hard heart into a, a soft heart into a hard heart. God turned an evil heart into a hard heart. God turned an evil heart into a hard heart. There's a distinct difference. God does not punish the innocent. God is just and righteous, displaying his perfect justice by hardening the heart of the wicked as a form of judgment for evil. Because, and listen up here, Pharaoh, Pharaoh was not innocent. Pharaoh was evil and proud. Pharaoh deserved God's judgment for his evil, and part of God's judgment was to harden Pharaoh's heart. And to further the point on this, if you remember back in the valley of chapter 5, right, where we see Pharaoh's harsh dealings with Israel, the extreme and ruthless slavery that was shown, right, Pharaoh was asking Israel to produce more straw or more bricks with less straw. Uh, and, this, and this was still prior to God hardening Pharaoh's heart. He'd said he would do it, but he hadn't done it yet. Pharaoh was doing this, but God had not yet hardened his heart. And if you remember, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, and said in verse 1, let my people go, this is what Moses and Pharaoh said, said, let my people go, that they may hold a feast in the wilderness. And then right after that, in chapter, in chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh responded arrogantly and in pride and said back to Moses and, and, and Aaron, and said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? And so before God hardened Pharaoh's heart, not only did Pharaoh display great evil, but he also displayed great unbelief. He was outwardly rejecting the Lord, essentially saying, who is this God of yours that I should even obey him? Why should I obey him? And as we know, our creator God will not accept any other false gods knowing that his purpose is to display to the world so that the world would know and understand that he is the Lord, that he is Yahweh. <laughs> this was the wrong move for Pharaoh. Right? We'll, we'll get into that more next week, but God will not accept any other gods. Yahweh, uh, the Lord, is the one true God. And then as we saw uh, last week again in, in chapter 6, verse 1, in response to Pharaoh's evil and outward rejection and pride, God said in, in verse 1, he said, now you will see what I will do to the Lord. Or what I will do to Pharaoh, excuse me. Ultimately leading us to our next theme, God's judgment and power. So I want, to be, I want to be clear here. We're not moving away from the first theme of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. We're just building upon it. Uh, we're building upon this theme because God is displaying his judgment and power by and through Pharaoh's hard heart. They're intricately connected in the plagues. And as we've said, the plagues are a glimpse into God's judgment against a sinful and prideful heart, right? giving both what is due for pride and sin. And as we look at the book of Exodus, you know, I don't want us to lose sight, seeing that it wasn't just Pharaoh that was guilty. I've, I've already kind of mentioned this, but Egypt as a whole was guilty, showing they were evil simultaneously. They were evil with Pharaoh. It was a community event. <laughs> I also don't want us to miss that this is not a picture of God's justice and wrath against Pharaoh's pride. It's also a picture of God's judgment against their idolatry. We'll see this uh, more next week, but every plague is showing God's power and judgment against the false gods of the day. But we're going to get more to that next week. So as we consider God's judgment against Pharaoh in Egypt by hardening Pharaoh's heart and also with the plagues, we should be reminded 
that the picture we see here is a small glimpse into something far greater. Because as Paul in the book of Romans points out, it wasn't just Pharaoh and Egypt that were guilty, but rather the entire world is guilty, including all of us in here, you and me and those watching online. In Romans uh, 3.10, Paul quotes Psalm 14 and says, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And as we've said, as our main idea, what is true for the entire world, as the first half of James 4, 6 says, says God opposes the proud. God has opposition to the proud. The American church, generally speaking, right, loves the, the, the love and grace of God, right, believes it, but then really struggles with the wrath and the judgment of God. You know, this isn't often the first topic we bring up to new guests that we have that come into our house. Uh, but it's something that we have to face or we have to deal with because this is the God of the Bible. You know, every single person on this planet has the same problem that Pharaoh and Egypt had because of our pride and, and unbelief. We are in opposition to God. But may we not forget the second half of James 4, 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want you to listen intently here because we as Christians, we have good news. If you're not a Christian here today, I pray that you would listen intently. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the plagues that most commentators point out is that they were showing an undoing of the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, right? undoing everything that we see there. There was a peace, uh, there was a sense of peace in God's creation. Right? And, and at creation, the Hebrew word that's often used in, in describing this peace that we see at the at creation, it's shalom. And now through the plagues, God is using his creation as a means of judgment. What was once peace used for, to bring peace is now used as judgment, showing the antithesis to shalom. Right? It's the opposite of peace. God's creation was good, and like the flood, God's creation and the plagues are used to display God's power. And interesting enough, what Pastor Tim Keller points out with this is that Jesus, who came back much later, his miracles are the reestablishing and the reversal of what, the play, of, of the, of what is pictured in the plagues. You know, there's, there's a lot of similarities between the plagues and Jesus' miracles. That you could connect them to each other. And one, one, and one was used for judgment and the other was used for peace. Right, they were, but they were both in the book of Exodus and in Jesus' uh, miracles, they were both used to display and to show that Yahweh is the Lord. But as we know and saw last week, when Jesus came onto the scene, God's wrath and judgment, it still had to be dealt with. Right? God's wrath and judgment, it still had to be displayed. But what we must see is that Jesus did not come to undo God's wrath nor reverse God's wrath because that would be unjust. God's wrath still had to be displayed but rather in humility and in grace, Jesus came to take God's wrath. Jesus did not show pride. Jesus modeled humility. Because as we've said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But as God's word shows us and tells us, and as we can observe in our life, our hard hearts, like Pharaoh's, are full of pride. Making us just like Pharaoh in Egypt, as Romans 3.10 shows us, just like the rest of the world, because of our sin and pride, we are, in, we are put in opposition to God. 
But listen, listen, the good news of the gospel is that God opposes us because of our sin, requiring the judgment of God, but yet in God's remarkable grace, when Jesus went to the cross to die in humility, a criminal's death, follow me, Jesus took our opposition from God that we deserve because of our pride, and Jesus gives us his grace that was granted to him through his humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus took our opposition, and he gives us his grace. That's the gospel. That's the remarkable grace of God. That's the great exchange. But something I want to point out that we see in the story of the plagues, specifically with Pharaoh, is that if the sole motivation in responding to the gospel is escaping God's wrath and God's judgment, it may prove to be insufficient. Because as we see in the plagues, Pharaoh also desired to escape God's wrath and God's judgment. Pharaoh believed in God's power, and he believed God could get him out of judgment, and he wanted it. He didn't want to see God's judgment. We saw twice in the first four plagues, and it happens again later in the plagues. Pharaoh wanted to escape the wrath of God, but he did not want God as Lord. The judgment of God as seen in the plagues is not just for judgment's sake. God didn't display judgment just for the sake of judgment, but rather the judgment seen in the plagues were so that both us and the people back in Exodus would know and understand Yahweh the Lord. They would understand who God is. Which as we've said, Yahweh is deeply powerful, Yahweh is deeply personal, and Yahweh requires trusting, faith, Pharaoh was willing to submit to God's power in order to escape his judgment, but he wasn't willing to trust God as Lord. He wasn't willing to trust him and to know him personally. There's a distinct difference. God doesn't want us to just escape his wrath. God uh, God wants to be the Lord of our life. And the unfortunate reality of this is that there are people all over the world who, like Pharaoh, call on Jesus to escape God's wrath, but yet reject him as Lord. And as we see later in the book of Exodus, when Pharaoh is crossing the Red Sea, Pharaoh was not spared from the judgment of God's hand. Pharaoh wanted to escape God's judgment, yet Pharaoh refused God as Lord, as Yahweh, and it showed up And how, it showed up in how he repented. Pharaoh showed ingenuine repentance, It was repentance in order to escape the consequences of his sin, in order to escape God's judgment, but he never turned away from his sin. Which leads us to our last and final point. Number three, God's grace in repentance. When we talk about true repentance, it's turning away from our sin and turning towards God. It's a new direction. It's a change of direction. We recognize the wrong, we turn away from it, and we walk in a new direction. We turn away from our sin, and we turn towards God, where in contrast, false repentance, like what we see here with Pharaoh, it merely, escape, it merely seeks to escape the consequences of sin, and it does not seek a new direction. Yes, absolutely. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ absolutely provides a shelter from God's wrath. We cannot miss that. But what we must see here today is that God wants more than that. God wants us to know him as Yahweh. 
As Ezekiel 36, 26 shows us, God wants to turn our hard hearts of stone into soft, moldable hearts of flesh. God wants, us, wants to know us personally and intimately and to guide and direct us as a loving Father full of grace as Yahweh the Lord. And so with that said, something that I want to point out as we close out our time is something that's very interesting about Pharaoh, Pharaoh's hard heart. You know, the Bible shows us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. We see this back and forth throughout the plagues. That God says he will harden his heart and God does it. And then Pharaoh also hardens his own heart. Three times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And eight times it says God either would harden his heart or did harden Pharaoh's heart. So who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Well, both God and Pharaoh. <laughs> God hardened Pharaoh's heart, showing his power and sovereignty over Pharaoh, displaying his judgment over Pharaoh's evil, while at the same time showing that Pharaoh is responsible for the hardening of his own heart. For the philosophical thinkers out there, uh, we cannot miss that there is a divine mystery here where we see God's complete and total control and sovereignty over his, over his creation, including the hearts of people while at the same time making it very clear in Scripture that human hearts, the humans are still responsible for their sin. And what we see here in the book of Exodus is an illustration of the book of Romans. Paul, in the book of Romans, uses the hardening of Pharaoh's heart as a, as a means to illustrate something very significant. Paul, in Romans 9, 16, and 17, I'm going to read it. This is what it says. It says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. God hardens whomever he wills, as seen with Pharaoh, and he shows mercy on whomever he wills. This is significant, and this should be very encouraging and humbling for us as Christians, those who have trusted and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's not lose sight that God has the absolute power. God has the absolute power to change the hearts of people. This cannot be missed. God is over the hearts of his people and we can praise God for that. While at the same time, people are held responsible for the state of their hearts and we should plead with them under that reality. Without a doubt, this, there is a divine mystery here. And this mystery should not confuse us, but rather it should greatly encourage us. How encouraging is this? Get this. If your heart has been softened to the Lord, this is God's complete grace and mercy in your life. Don't lose sight of that. It's not your strength and power or even your will. It's God's incredible patience in your life to soften you and open your heart to God. I don't miss this. This is amazing and astounding great. We, we, cannot, we cannot miss God's great power and grace to soften hearts. While at the same time, I want to plead with each of us to do the opposite of Pharaoh, to soften our hearts to the Lord and to humbly walk in repentance. Listen, re regularly walking in repentance, turning from our sin and running towards God is the evidence of a soft heart. Hard hearts cannot be shaped by God, where soft hearts allow God to be molded by our maker. 
Brothers and sisters, New City Church, we must ask, what are the things in my life, in, in our lives, in your lives that are potentially causing our hearts to harden? Right? How are we being prideful? Right? If pride is the fruit of a hard heart, right? is, is it our job or is it our financial situation? Right? Is there relational strife or an ongoing sin struggle that is, is hardening our hearts? Is it COVID related? Are we frustrated with the mask situation? Do we have to wear masks? Are you frustrated that some people don't wear masks? Right? These things can cause bitterness and a hardness of heart. Or is it race-related? Right? Is, is there a hardening towards the topic? Or are we hardened uh, because not enough is being done? Whichever it is, don't allow it to harden your heart. If we see something, if we see anything, right, as we look at Pharaoh's hard heart, it's the danger of a hard heart. May we be a people that continually search out our hearts for bitterness, pride, unbelief, and anger to keep our hearts from hardening. We have the responsibility uh, to search out our hearts and allow God to mold us and to shape us and to humble us, even in difficult days. That's our responsibility. May we be a people that are continually, daily, walking in true repentance where we are turning from sin and pride and walk towards the humility that is found in the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has shown us astounding grace in the gospel. This grace should put us on our faces in humility, bowing to Yahweh as the Lord of our life, because as we've seen here today, God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Let's, let's walk in humility today with soft hearts, worshiping the Lord in joy. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We need you. Father, we're humbled by the grace that you show us in the gospel. Father, may those who may have not, who are listening online or who are here today, Father, if, they have not, if we have not trusted in Christ, they would put their faith in Jesus, the one that can soften our hearts. Father, we need your help. Would, would you walk with us? Would we be a people that are continually walking in repentance and that we would soften our hearts? We need your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.